welcome uh, to Cultivate Church. My name is Jay. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you and you're uh, new here, I'd love to be able to do that afterwards, but I want to make sure that I introduce myself and not um, kind of assume that everybody knows me. If you're wondering, and maybe even if you missed last week and you're kind of wondering why I'm down here instead of up there where I normally am, we started a, a new series called Story Formed last week where we are kind of attacking and going through uh, the Bible as one grand narrative. We're, we're telling it as a story in that sense um, with all the, the various stories kind of packed into it along the way. And so we're taking 10 weeks to do this to kind of share with everyone and all of us the, the grand narrative of what God has been doing since the beginning of the world and how that really shapes us and, and impacts uh, our lives. Because the truth is we are wrapped up into a story that's greater than our own. And we may not realize that we're part of that story, but that story is actually going on. And, uh, and so we're telling that story as a way to shape all of our lives as members and participants of it. Um, that's a story that's primarily about God. So I, I, I don't know about you, but I had a great time discussing last week. I was really blessed by a lot of what you guys had to say. Because what we're doing is we're telling the story, and then we're dialoguing about it. And so rather than a, a monologue where I just share everything, I'm asking you guys to kind of participate and give your feedback and answer some questions as we kind of figure this thing out together. And um, the, the cool part about it for me, I was telling Mandy afterwards, is that uh, I kind of came home afterwards and, and was really blessed by a lot of what we discussed. A lot of it was uh, something that God had used in my own heart to kind of remind me of some things that I had forgotten about. And, and I remember specifically we were talking about kind of the knowledge of good and evil and how that kind of impacts all of life, right? That all of us, we desire to be able to make that judgment call about what's good and what's bad uh, in our lives and in the lives of other people, which really is reserved for God, and yet we oftentimes, we like to play God and try to take that back for ourselves. So I was noticing throughout my week all the times that I wanted in my heart to say, no, that was good and that was bad, and God, what are you doing here? Especially with something like a hurricane coming through, you, all kinds of questions bubble up, right? So, so let's recap a little bit of what we talked about last week. We, we mentioned three scenes from the story. Can anybody tell me what the first of those scenes was about and what we learned through it? Yeah, even before that, he created angels, right? And, and so the angels were watching as God created everything or like participating in it and going, wow, God is really up to some cool things. And then what happened with the angels? What did, what did some of them do? They rebelled against God, right? And so uh, a group of them, which was led by a kind of a lead angel called Lucifer, rebelled against God and said, no, we, we don't want to trust that you're God. We'd like to put our throne above yours. And what was God's response to that? He kicked them out of, out of his presence, right? Um, he, he cast them down to the earth. So, so then that scene kind of ended and we picked up with another scene. And what was that one all about? I think you guys mentioned some of it already. Creation of what? Heaven and earth, right? What else? Humans, right? They, they became kind of a spotlight, uh, main part of the story, us. Um, what, what was uh, kind of unique about the humans? What distinguished them from the rest of God's creation? Yeah, his breath was breathed into him, which we said was kind of like his spirit too. What, what else? Free will, right? That was a big one, right? They had the ability to choose Good versus bad, um, obedience, made in his image, that was another part, huge part of it, right? That, that God, like no other creature, he created humans uh, like himself, in the, made in his own image, it says, right? So, and then there, there, if you remember, there were two trees in the garden. One was called the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you can eat of any tree, including the one of life, but you can't eat this one, because if you do, you'll die. And what did Adam and, and Eve choose to do? They, ch they chose to eat of which tree? Knowledge of good and evil, right? And what, what do we say was kind of the primary thing that they were after in eating that tree? Being above God in what way, though? Right, in terms of knowledge, right? Because they wanted to have the wisdom themselves to kind of make that judgment call between what's good and wrong. 
uh, in the world apart from God, right? They didn't trust him. They wanted that knowledge for themselves. And what was God's response to that? <laughs> uh-uh, right? <laughs> Ain't going to have that, right? Well, so what did he do? Right, so he, he kind of allowed them to experience the fruit of their own sinful choice, right? And because of that, it, it kind of pushed them outside of the garden. God had to cast them out. Why would God do something like that? What do we say about God? Yeah, he's just, he's holy. What did holy mean? You remember? God always does what is, what? Good, right, and perfect. And because he's holy and he's just, he, he will never allow sin to remain in his presence. And so that sin, which Adam and Eve chose, it, it cast them outside of the garden. Um, but if you remember, God t- continued to show great care for Adam and Eve, even in the midst of that choice. What did he do for them? He, he fashioned clothes for them, right? So, so he said, you know, you realize that you're naked and ashamed, and I won't allow you to continue to experience all of the fruit of that, and so I'm going to make clothes for you. So even when you go outside of the garden, outside of my care, I'm going to send you out with some kind of covering. And we said how, you know, how gracious that was. Is there anything else that you kind of learned from, from, that pro- from last week that you've been kind of processing through, maybe in your life groups or just on your own or with your family? Any aha moments? So the, the fact that God wrote us into his story from the beginning gives us a lot of comfort and knowledge that God is the protector and provider of our lives, right? Something like, and that we don't, so when storms come, literally or figuratively, we know that we've been written in from the beginning that God has not forgotten about us. Yeah, so we have a sense of security even when our world may be falling apart, right? Yeah, that's a great thing to learn. Well, I want to move us on to the next part of the story. We're going to be covering two parts uh, two scenes today, and one of them, oddly enough, has to do with a flood. So uh, uh, God, you know, kind of in his sovereignty knows what he's doing, I think, and uh, just in his humor maybe allowed us to, <laughs> to be able to look at that today. But we're going to cover one to start with uh, about two brothers. And so I'd really encourage you to, and this is what we said last week, to really listen well to the story, because as we dialogue, we're going to be constantly going back to the story. What did the story say? How did it explain that? What did we learn from it? So, so make sure you give a, a good ear to this. So after leaving the garden, Adam and Eve had two sons named Cain and Abel. Uh, when they grew up, Cain became a farmer and Abel became a shepherd. At harvest time, Cain brought to God a gift from his farm produce, while Abel brought several of the very best lambs from his flock. God accepted Abel's gift and his offering of the lambs, but he did not accept Cain and his offering. This made Cain very angry and upset. Why are you so angry? God asked him. Why do you look so down? Won't you be accepted if you do what is right? But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, waiting to attack and destroy you. And you must bring it under control. Later, Cain suggested to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were there, Cain attacked and killed his brother. This was the first murder mentioned in the Bible. Afterward, God asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, Cain replied. Am I supposed to keep track of him wherever he goes? But God said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You are now banished from the ground you have corrupted with your brother's blood. No longer will it produce abundant crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless fugitive on the earth, constantly wandering from place to place. Cain replied to God, My punishment is too much for me to handle. You have removed me from my land and from your presence. You have made me a wandering fugitive. All who see me will try to kill me. And God replied, No, they will not kill you. Anyone who tries to harm you will receive seven times their punishment, your punishment. So God put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. 
Then Cain left God's presence and traveled to the land east of the garden. So, so again, here's the ground rules. Try to answer the questions as we give them from the story. And if you could, try to speak up as loud as you can when you give them so that other people can hear. And I'll do my best to try to repeat what you say so make sure that everybody gets a, a handle on it. But let, let's jump right in. What did God say to Cain after he rejected uh, Cain's offering? What did God say? Yeah, why are you so angry? Right? He asked him a question. What else does he say? Yeah. Won't you be blessed if you do, or, or won't you be accepted, right? That's, that's kind of the language he uses. If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? What, what's the warning that comes then? Yeah. What, what's the imagery that God uses? What's, it, what's sin going to do to him if he doesn't get it under control? It's kind of like a, like a predator sort of imagery, right? Like he's going to attack and, and conquer Cain in some way. So what do you think God meant by his, his questions? Specifically like the, won't you be accepted if you do what's right? What do you think God meant by that? What do you think is going on with, with God's questioning there? Yeah, there's a little bit of an opportunity there, right? He's kind of opening a door for Cain a little bit, maybe, saying, look, if you did what's right, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Yeah, so rather than giving a directive, he's, uh, he's kind of inviting Cain to think through the process himself. What's that? that sounds like good parenting, right? Doesn't it? I mean, that, w- parents, maybe at our best moments, we allow our children to kind of enter into their own thought process so that they might find freedom from it. And that's kind of what God is doing here, right? He's, he's offering Cain a way out from maybe, uh, his, you know, the issue that's going on in his life. What's, what's really at, at, the, at the, the heart of the issue here? What's the root of the problem? Is it, is it Cain's offering or his heart? His heart. What makes you say that? So, yeah, out of the heart, he's kind of flowing from his actions. If his heart was right before God, would he have given the same kind of offering that Abel did? Probably, right? So what's, what's kind of going on in, in Cain's mind here a little bit? If you were Cain in that situation, what, what would be going on in your mind? Yeah, he's got some jealousy going on, right? So And, and rather than kind of... Um, allowing God to kind of reveal his own heart, he's, he's kind of just creating a distance between him and God and him and his own brother, right? It's very interesting. Now, so, so you guys said that, that it was really um, Cain's heart that was at issue. What is God looking at in this situation in Cain? What, what's God really putting his finger on? Yeah, obedience, right? Which flows out of the... The heart, right? So, so we could say in another way, God really sees Cain's heart for what it is, right? So he's pointing to it in that sense, but he's really trying to like, get Cain to sort of see his own heart in his own response. So, so it's interesting because Cain doesn't really give a response, right? He doesn't say anything when God questions him. All it says is it moves on to the next scene. It says, sometime later, Cain went out and, and, and killed his brother. So why do you think he killed his brother? Jealous of what? Jealous of God's favor? Jealous of the attention that, that Abel's getting? So yeah, so he, he's not comfortable with being kind of the inferior of the two? As long as it's on topic. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Like, I've, I've wondered because it's the work of his hands. Right. Well, what do you guys think? Because um, there's a little bit of a hint in the story. What's the difference between the two offerings? Abel gave what? The very best of his flock, right? And what does it say that Cain gave? Some, right? 
So, so in that sense, what, what's happening between the two? What is Abel saying? He values God more than he does his sheep. He's placing his trust in who? Not right. Not, not in his flock's ability to give him a livelihood, but he's placing his trust in the God who asked for an offering. And so it wasn't just a, a cleanliness thing. There, there was, like if you have a flock of sheep, you want to reserve your very best for you, right? Because those are the, going to be the ones that reproduce the best and give you the best offspring down the road. And so what God is saying is, I want you to trust me with your very best because I can do more with it than you can, right? Um, so the question is, did, did Cain really know that he wasn't giving his best, right? Or, or did, was he kind of in his own mind giving it? Right. So, so the question is, did, did Cain, was he giving with the right kind of motivation? Or was he just doing it out of strict obedience because God had asked and kind of just begrudgingly? Well, we already said, right, that God knows the heart. He seems to know Cain's heart. And so God is, in a sense, kind of calling that out for Cain. So we get a little bit of that, like, what's going on in your own heart? You don't really trust me. And I think we see some of that by Cain's non-response, right? We're reading a little bit into the story, but Cain doesn't give a a defense. So, like, if I were Cain and I was thinking, man, I gave you my very, very best, I'd want to say that to God, like, here, here's what I thought you wanted, and it, it, like, help me out here and show me where I was wrong. And we don't get any of that from Cain, right? He just kind of blows it off, and he decides to go out and kill his brother. I mean, that, like, <clears throat> that's, that's kind of the response, right, um, that he goes out and does that. So it's funny, because Cain is, what, what is he really doing? He's, he's kind of rejecting God's ability to say what's good and wrong, right? So God kind of says, Abel, I accept your offering. Cain, I don't accept yours, but I'm giving you an invitation. And Cain, in that knowledge, goes, no, I I reject your ability to do that, and I'm going to go out and just eliminate the competition, right? Who's that sound a lot like? His parents, right? Do you see that? Like, generationally, from one parent to the next, that, that Adam and Eve wanted that knowledge to be able to make that judgment call and here we see the very same thing in their firstborn child. Yeah, isn't that interesting? History kind of repeats itself in that way. So who's Cain really angry at? Who's he, who's he really ticked at here? God? Himself. What, what makes you say that? What? what? <laughs> yeah, he can't be mad at Abel anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he eliminates him because he's angry at himself maybe for not kind of getting it right the first time. It's a pride issue, right? Have you ever been so angry that like you know full well that you, you like deep down you're angry at yourself and yet you're you're kind of blaming everything and everyone around you instead? Never, huh? We never do anything like that. I mean, it's easy, isn't it, to become so deluded that you kind of blame everything else besides yourself when you're angry. I've been in that situation a lot of times. And, and uh, just to be totally open and honest with you, what, I, anger has been an issue in my life for, for some time. It was a big issue before I came to know Christ. It's something that God has been dealing with me on kind of over and over and over again. And, and it's a lot of that. Like, you know, I want to blame every, everything and everyone around me rather than pointing the finger at myself. And that's really just... Um, kind of wanting to hide my own sin and, and blame it on other people rather than coming to God who may be giving me an opportunity to say, hey, I'm giving you a chance to kind of come to me and, and be accepted. Even, in the, even though you're not giving your best in this situation, aren't I being gracious and allowing you to come back to me, right? We have that kind of God. That's the kind of God that we see uh, in the story. It, it's interesting, though, because, like, we, we oftentimes, we do a lot of stuff to kind of feel accepted, right? And, and Cain, in a sense, is kind of acting out uh, in violence in a twisted way, sort of to be accepted by God, right? I mean, that's kind of his, his motive at the end is like, if I didn't have the, you know, my, my brother kind of showing me up all the time, maybe God would like my gift. 
You see the, the sort of the twisted nature of his own heart. If, and yet, so what's God saying if he really sees his heart? What is he saying to Cain? Just come and be accepted, right? So how, how do you think, I mean, just kind of putting this onto our lives, how do you think our lives would change if we just knew all the time that we were completely loved and accepted regardless of what we did? How would life change for you? Yeah, it would kind of defeat some anger in you, right? What else? It would remove some fear. How, how would it do that? Yeah, right. Who, who, whom else should I fear, right, as the psalm says? But you, O oh Lord. And if you're accepted by the Lord, then really that, that answers the question, right? So what was God's reaction to the murder? What does he do? Even before casting him out, though, what, is, what does God do? Gives him a chance to confess even before that. Yeah, he goes to him, right, and asks a question. Isn't that cool? They're like, I mean, when your kids do wrong, what, what's your kind of, what's your first reaction? It's to, yeah, right. What in the world did you do? But you kind of send them away, right? I mean, how, how close to your kids do you want to be when they're like really ticking you off? Not very, right? What does God do? Yeah, he pursues, right? And he asks the question, where is your brother? <laughs> yeah, we're not like God, right? So, so he asks the question, then what does God do? Yeah, he, he, what, what happens when Cain doesn't kind of fess up to what he did? <laughs> Puts him in time out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, right? It, it confesses on your behalf what you've done. Very interesting how God personifies that. So what did Cain really deserve here for what he did? He deserved death. And what does God give him instead? Long life. Yeah, we, if you keep reading on the story, Cain lives for a very long time after this event. Isn't that interesting? What's that? Yeah, so even in, even in the midst of his sinful choice, God is kind of inviting Cain to see the error of his own ways. and, and to, It's an invitation, right, to kind of see things differently. What, I mean, so that's one aspect of it. What else do we learn about humans in the story? We blame. What else do we do with our sin? We hide it, right? Yeah, so, so it gets worse over time. It has a snowball effect in that sense. It just keeps getting worse and worse. What started out as just some anger over a decision that God had the right to make, it turned into full-on full on murder, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it not only has a... Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it has a multiplying effect, too, in terms of who it hurts. So it's not just all sin. It may start out as a me and God thing, but soon after it snowballs onto our spouse and parents and relationships, all kinds, right? It has a multiplying effect. So what do we learn about God from this story? So he comes and pursues. William, what did you say? Yeah, he gives a lot of chances, doesn't he? Isn't that good news? What's another way to say that about God? Yeah, grace, right? He's very gracious. He gives a lot of chances. Yeah, he's just as well. Yep. So we saw that in the first story. We're seeing that again, that God will never allow sin to remain in his presence. And so he cast Cain out you know, from his land and God's presence just the same way that he did with Adam and Eve. God also knows all things, right, too. It's interesting, even as he's asking questions, God already knows the answer, but he's inviting Cain into the knowledge of what he's giving him. All right, so let's move on to the second story, and then, then we'll kind of see how these two things converge. And this is where the flood will come in. So 
we'll have a lot of uh, maybe firsthand experience from this one. But it comes from Genesis 6 through 9, and uh, it says this. The number of humans on the earth grew rapidly. Not only did sin spread from Adam and Eve to their sons, it spread from generation to generation. Even though humans were created in God's image, everyone chose to disobey God. They constantly acted out in violence against each other. God saw that the people's thoughts were completely evil all of the time. This broke his heart and made him wish that he had never created humans. So God decided to start over. He said, I will completely wipe out this human race that I have created. I am sorry that I ever made them. But there was one man named Noah who found favor or grace in the eyes of God. Noah had a close relationship with God and was the only blameless man living on earth at that time. So God said to Noah, I have decided to cover the earth with a flood, destroying everything alive, but I will give you a plan to keep you safe. God said to Noah to build a large ark, giving him specific instructions about how to make it and what it should be like. God said to him, make an ark from wood and seal it with tar inside and out. Then build many decks and stalls for animals inside of it. I promise to keep you safe in this ark. Bring seven pairs of animals that I have approved for sacrifices and one pair of each of the other animals. These animals will come to you to be kept alive. And remember, take enough food for yourselves and for all the animals on the ark. So Noah did everything exactly as God had told him. Just as God said, the floods came. Water burst out from the earth and rain poured down from the sky. And when the waters came, Noah and his family and all the animals boarded the ark. As the waters rose, the ark floated safely on the surface. The flood covered even the tallest of mountains and all living creatures on the earth were destroyed. Except for those on the ark. After 40 days, the rain stopped. Many months passed as the water slowly began to dry up. And for weeks, Noah sent out a dove to see if it could find dry land. Finally, the dove returned with an olive leaf in its mouth. And so Noah sent the dove out again. And when it didn't come back, he knew that it was safe to return to land. As soon as Noah came off the ark, he built an altar selected pure animals from every species and sacrificed them to God as a symbol of his thankfulness and worship. God was pleased with Noah's sacrifice and said, I will never again curse the earth, destroying all the things with a flood. Even though people's thoughts and actions are bent towards evil, even from childhood, God blessed Noah and his sons, telling them to be fruitful and multiply. Go and have many children and once again fill the earth with people. Then God said to Noah and his sons, I have put all animals under your control. You can use them for food, but you must never eat animals that are still alive, that have their lifeblood in them. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. Because life is in the blood, and all life belongs to me. God also said, as a symbol of my promise, I will hang a rainbow in the clouds. And when I see the rainbow, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. All right, that's the story. So why did God send the flood and destroy everything? People were bad, yeah. He was disappointed with them, yeah. We'll get into the emotions in a little bit, yeah. What was wrong with people? Sin, and how did sin kind of manifest itself? What's that? Yeah, violence against one another. How often was this occurring? All the time, right? Every thought, it says, was, was constantly inclined towards violence for one another. Everyone was doing completely wrong all the time. So do you think God had good reason for doing this? Yeah, do you think he had good, good reason for kind of starting over? So he had a better chance at, at kind of a new start? Yeah. 
Do you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, so because God is just, he reserves the right to be able to do this, right, with, with sin. Now, I, I mean, this is a really difficult one, right? I mean, we're all told this story when we're kids, and it's like the happy little ark, and everybody boards on, and they all, you know, float safely to the land of the rainbow, and everybody's you know, gets out, and, you know, all the stick figures. You learn this from kindergarten, right? How... This is a much darker story than you were told originally, is it not? Do you have, I mean, do you struggle with that? Like with God's ability to say this, this needed to happen? Yeah, so he did it. And, it. and the story even says that, right? Even knowing that people's hearts would continue to be evil, God allowed a way through it. Yeah, there's a great connection there, isn't there, between the water that God used to extinguish the earth and the water that we use to baptize people as a symbol of death and resurrection. Yeah, that, that symbolism should be there. That's, that's part of the reason for baptism, yeah. How, how often do you think we struggle with that? I mean, that popped up last week, and it's kind of coming up again this week. But wanting to make that judgment call about what's, what's the right and good thing to do. Do you guys hear that? That we always struggle with wanting to be our own God. And only a God gets to determine what's good, right, and perfect. And so we want the ability to do that all the time. And you're, you're kind of confessing that that may be even a daily thing that we're not often aware of as we go out, go, kind of go throughout our day. So, so what we're saying through this story is God is, God is holy, right? Which we've said is, means he, is, he always does what is good, right, and perfect. And so that's something that we need to kind of reconcile with, with his call to kind of restart the human race through Noah and his family and really extinguish every, everyone else, right? So what, what made Noah different? What was different about Noah? What does it say? That he was right with God, but even before that. Yeah, he didn't question. What's, what's the first thing that the story says about Noah? Even before that, even before being blameless. Noah found what with God? Noah found favor with God. What's what's the other word we used for that? Grace, right? What does it mean to find grace? Do do um, Do you deserve grace? Is grace something that you earn? No, it's just something that's given, right? If you, if you decide to give your coworker grace even though they've wronged you and kind of maybe got, you know, got the promotion above you when you should have gotten it because, you know, they made some decisions that were, you know, n- not good, um, and you decide to give them grace and say, oh, I'm going to continue the relationship, did they deserve the grace that you gave? No, right? It was a decision that you made to give grace to another person that didn't deserve it. So what is God doing here? With Noah. What makes Noah different? He does, I think, yeah. So he's got a relationship with God where he understands his need, but in a sense, God chooses him, right? Who's who's the story really about? It's about God, right? Remember, he's the main character of the story. Now, oftentimes, we like to put the humans in the place of God, even when we read through the Bible, but it's really a story about God. And God decides to choose Noah, and we find out that in his choice, Noah is blameless, right? There's something different about him. So what was the earth like at that point? (laughs) Before it got wet. (laughs) It it was corrupt, yeah. What else? (laughs) How so? How is it like today? So apart from Christ, the human race hasn't changed. What, what's unchanged between this story and what we see today? There's a, there's a distance or a barrier between us. We still choose sin all the time. Yeah. If you were on the earth at that point, what do you think is going through the minds of the people that are there? 
like before the flood. Like, I mean, it, it took Noah a long time to build the ark, right? I think it was like 100 years. They're watching Noah build the ark the entire time. And, and Noah is kind of saying, hey, a flood's coming and God's going to rescue us. Um, but it's going to be really bad. What, what's everybody else thinking? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're either um, minimizing God or minimizing their own problem, right? So either God isn't powerful and he would never do such a thing, or I'm not so bad and, and things will go well for me. Yeah, a lot of unbelief, maybe even that there was a God. Yeah, they, they, they worshiped all kinds of other things besides God, put their hope in a lot of other things, yeah. Yeah, we've seen from the story that there's a lot of similarities between the choice that the angels made in their rebellion of God and the choice that we make in our rebellion of God. And it turns out, I think that we've seen that a lot of those parallels exist, right, between what we're actually worshiping when we're not worshiping God. That, that's popped up a lot in the story, hasn't it? Yeah, so what's the reality of this particular story? There's a flood coming, right? And, and there are going to be major consequences for sin. And so everyone except for Noah and his family are really living under a deception, right? They're really deceived into thinking another thing. So I'll go back to the question, how, how much is this world like the world of today? Very, very similar, is it not? People denying the knowledge of God, people looking to themselves to save themselves. I mean, in a sense, we're guilty of all of that stuff too, right? Yeah, wars and conflict, violence all the time. Yeah, it's not getting better, is it? Right? Worship of things, yep, yep. (laughs) The iPod, right? So now you can worship the device in your pocket, yeah? Yeah, so what's, what's Noah's hope in? It's in God, right? So what, what is he thinking about? What does Noah believe about God? He trusts his word, right? He, he really puts his faith in God's warning. What else does Noah believe about God? <laughs> yeah. Who, who's designed for the boat is it? It's God's, right? It's not really Noah's. Noah's not like the best boat builder to ever grace the earth. It was really God showed him all the facets of how to build it, right? I'm, going, I'm thinking in my mind it's probably not even the materials were of Noah's making, right? Because God made all the trees and showed him which ones were good for building. It's entirely God's endeavor. Noah's just a part of it. So, so let me just contemporize it then, like to today. You contemporaryize it, or what's that word? What would that word be? Modernize it. There you go. It's a give and take. This whole thing, right? Um, you don't necessarily have to to think these things out loud, but but in your own mind, what are you trusting in to save you from from your own sinful heart? I mean, one of the things that we've seen over and over again is that every person, since the, the decision that Adam and Eve first made, has been defined by one characteristic, right? What's that characteristic, Ben? Sinful, right? It, it, part of that came from God's ability to let them choose, but everyone so far has chosen, themse- chosen themselves, apart from the one person that God has given his grace to. I, that's the temptation, I think, for all of us, is to be trusting in something other than God's kind of appointed means for salvation. That's what makes Noah so different, right? So uh, the question you need to wrestle with is, do we really believe that we're like the people in the story? Not, not Noah and his family, but everybody else. So what are you hoping in? What is, your, what is your trust being placed in to make you right before God and before other people? What ark are you trying to build apart from God, to save yourself. So, uh, just being honest with you guys, if you're like me, I, I tend to go back and forth between kind of being self-righteous, sort of thinking that I can build an ark of my own to save myself. It may not be as grand as Noah's ark, but it'll be a life raft enough that I can save myself. 
or kind of waffling to the other side of things and saying, you know, I'm not really so bad. I mean, you know, I, I make some bad choices every once in a while, but I don't really consider my heart as wicked as the people in this story. Do you, do you kind of feel that same way oftentimes? Kind of wake up and go, you kind of go back and forth between complacency and then on the other hand, oh, if I do feel convicted about it, I can do it all myself. So how did God feel about people in the story? Let's just put a bow on that. He didn't like them. Really? Do you, hold on. I mean, he didn't like them. What, would, would the rest of you guys agree with that statement? How would you challenge that? He, he, he both hates what they've become, and yet at the same time, what does he do? What? He loves and saves them, right? I mean, God is present. He, what does it say about God's own heart when, when, this is, when he looks down on the earth and sees it? What is he filled with? Sorrow and sadness and grief, yeah. But I don't think we take that into consideration often enough. We think that God is just kind of, you know, without emotions and just sort of makes judgment calls on the earth as sort of this distant, you know, clockmaker, right? But we, that's not the impression we get, right? He, he's entirely involved and his heart is kind of out there for the people and can get crushed in a sense. God gives them a hundred years to change, does he not? That's grace, right? That's, I mean, the, the, that's long-suffering, that's, that's a good biblical picture for what God is all about. How, how else does God feel about people? How, let, let me put it this way. How is God committed to, his, to this people called humans? He does. What does he do? He, how, what's his promise? The rainbow in the sky. Do you ever look at a rainbow that way? And go, that is God's picture for how committed he is to human beings and seeing them reconciled to himself. Do you know that's what it was created for? That's amazing, isn't it? That God would do that? (laughs) Yeah, and we just want the pot of gold at the end of it, right? Think of what a double rainbow means. I have no idea. What does a double rainbow mean? (laughs) Hopefully it's not like a double negative, right? (laughs) So what, what does this story teach us about God? He's loving. Man, that's a difficult thing to say when he's just destroyed the whole earth. So what makes you say that? Yeah, he gives second chances. He's patient. Yeah. He gives provision for, for Noah and his family to be saved, right? What else do we learn? Yeah, the animals are all coming to... It's not like Noah has to go searching on a safari, right, to get all the animals, like with a net. Like, come on, elephant. We're getting over to the... Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and the whole male-female thing. Gosh, that, that would take 100 years in itself. Yeah, God provides them all, right? He brings them all to their doorstep. Yeah, there's like an intertwinedness, right? to the heart of God with the heart of his creation. He, he kind of, yeah, it's beyond just do right and do wrong um, and, and choose right. Yeah, God is, his heart is extended in a sense out to his people. Um, that's a great point, Kurt. The, one of the things that we see in the story is that God, he doesn't just decide to wipe everyone out and start over again. He, he chooses for himself kind of the seeds of something from the old to begin the new. Did you notice that? So rather than saying, he could have, right? I mean, God could have just said, I'm done with this whole group of people. I'm going to start fresh with an entirely new person and just see if I can do it right again, right? But he doesn't do that. He takes one from the old, and he says, I'm going to redo that. Do you know what that's called, God? Yeah, it's a... The biblical term for that is redeemer. That God is, he takes what's corrupted and he redeems it to make something glorious and new. 
Yeah, so he's kind of sharing what he's doing in the process with who he's doing it with and and kind of helping them see what's come before. So he's he's not just manipulating pieces, but he's including people in what he does in that sense. That's a great point. What does God say? There's t- an interesting, we'll wrap up with this. God kind of talks about blood in both stories. Did you notice that? Um, what's the connection there? What does God say about murder and blood and life? The life is in the blood. And it belongs to him, right? Life belongs to God. Because he, he's the one that gives it, right? And so he, he requires, in a sense, that blood, if blood is going to be taken, that, that that life, which was extinguished from God's presence, be given back to him in the life of the person that did it. You notice that parallel? That happened with Cain and Abel. Cain didn't get what he deserved, but then God says, everyone else who does this from now on, I'm going to require their life because life belongs to me, and when you take it from me, I need to take it back. Isn't that interesting? I want to kind of paint Jesus into the story here because Jesus, when he's telling people about the scriptures, he always says to them, you read it as if I'm not part of it, but what I want you to know is that they're really about me. And so we're, we're going to try to point forward to where Jesus comes in and fulfills all these various things that we see throughout the story. And it's funny because in the story of Cain and Abel and in the ark, there's blood that goes on. There, there's the shedding of blood. And with Abel's story, Cain, Cain and Abel's story, um, we, we talked about it earlier that, that God says to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, condemning you for what you did. Did you notice that? That, that in a sense, God is saying, the, the blood of your brother is what's condemning you for your murder. You know what's interesting about that is that later on, Jesus the Bible says, poured his blood out for us. And it's that blood which cries out on our behalf to give us forgiveness, not condemnation. You see the parallel between those two things? God, in a sense, gives his one and only son, allows him to die a murderous death, a death that we all deserved because we were the ones in the story who, who murder and whose thoughts are inclined towards evil all the time. If it was true about our ancestors, it's certainly true about us. And yet God sends his substitute into the world to take our place on the cross. And he says, it is my son's blood that cries out on your behalf, freedom and forgiveness and redemption. Isn't that amazing? That, that's, that's good news for those of us that find ourselves in the story. And I hope that you really do. It's, it, and, and it's interesting, it's not, it's not what we do. Cain thought it was the offering that he was going to give which would make him acceptable. For us, it's not the offering that we give that makes us acceptable before God. It's the offering that Jesus gave. It was the offering of his own body that makes us acceptable before God. And, and then you bring in the ark into the midst of the story and you see that God hates sin, does he not? I mean, he's sorrowful over it and he says, something needs to be done about this because I cannot let it stand. I, I can't just let it go on. It needs to be dealt with and, and, and I am angry towards it. The Bible calls that anger wrath. And just like the, the wrath of God comes into the story and needs to be dealt with uh, and, and extinguishes all the people of the earth, God gives an ark, does he not? Dennis, you alluded to it before, that God gives an ark so that things would be redeemed, so that God would create a people for himself to give glory to him for saving them. And God does the same thing through his son. Jesus is that ark by which we are saved from what we deserve to get, which was death. And you notice what, what, what the first thing that, um, that Noah does when he gets off the ark, what does he do? He builds an offer and he, and he gives a sacrifice. What is he saying by, by doing that? Yeah, thank you. In a sense, he's saying, the blood that I'm shedding from this offering, it should have been mine. I should have been the one who died apart from your salvation. And so I'm giving this offering to you as a way to say, 
I did not deserve what you gave me, and you gave it anyway. And so I'm giving it in thanksgiving to your saving work in my life. Yeah, so God shows his love in, in that ability to save, right? Even in the midst of our sin, God provides a way through it. That's what we see with the ark, and ultimately that's what we see with Jesus. So, so as we end and we kind of go to prayer on this, I want to really encourage you to use this as an opportunity to thank God for what he's done. That you, that you are not on a, on a story of your own. You're wrapped up in this story with him. And that God has provided for you a means of salvation to see you through even the worst of floods. And that ark is called Jesus. He provides it for all of us. And that's actually when we go to the table, what we're saying is when we, when we take the, the bread which symbolizes his body and we dip it in the juice which symbolizes his blood, we're saying in a sense Jesus' body is the ark of my salvation and his blood is the blood that was shed which cries out for my freedom and redemption. Isn't that amazing? That, that's good news, family. I hope that you see it. And let's go to God with that good news and thank him for it. Father, we do thank you and, and praise you that, that, um, that you preserve a people for yourself, that even though we've seen through the story um, humans' hearts are wicked and we act out of that wickedness and violence all the time. It, it may be physical in, in terms of violence. It may be in our own hearts and minds when we hate our brothers and sisters and we hate the people that are around us and we wish ill for them. Um, but it's there. We've experienced it in our own lives and our own hearts. So thank you, God, that even though our hearts and our souls, you know them fully, you, you created us and you know them intimately. It, it is Jesus' blood that comes in and cries out on our behalf, even though we were the guilty ones. You look on him and you see a people who are redeemed and saved for your purpose. God, that, that is good news and we celebrate that as we come to the table this morning. We celebrate that as a family that we are included in your story. And we just, we just pray, God, for the grace to be able to know this more as we're your people. In Jesus' name, amen.